Uh, just grateful to be with you. Um, why don't we just pray and then uh, ask God to, uh, to work tonight. So, Father, thank you that you're, you're a good God. Thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us uh, in what is known as your written word, your, your scriptures. God, I just pray this, that tonight uh, you would, as I always ask, just surprise us. Uh, God, woo us more into your presence and make us uh, have a greater hunger than we currently do for you to know you. Uh, to find our identity in you, to be, to be reminded of all the things that we've already been given in Christ and then practically walk in them. God, I pray that these ideas and truths that we hear tonight wouldn't just be intellectual thoughts or, or frameworks, but things that we can actually and practically and tangibly walk in. God, thank you for what you're doing here. Uh, thank you that your word transforms and molds and shapens and refines, and we ask you to do that. God, we can't make anything happen. Your Holy Spirit has to fall and do something tonight. Uh, so we pray you do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and grab them. Go to Philippians chapter uh, 3. Uh, we are halfway through this letter that we are studying, the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians is just a fantastic letter in the New Testament. If you guys are, uh, this is your first time hearing these sermons or aren't really caught up, um, this is basically a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church at Philippi. If you read Acts 16, you can kind of see where uh, he founds this church. You can see how uh, there are these three people in particular who are converted to Christ through the power of the gospel. You have uh, Lydia, this wealthy businesswoman. You have this demon-possessed slave girl who's enslaved not just to the demon possession within her, but the, uh, the men who enslaved her as well. Then you also see the jailer uh, get converted to Christ. They start this church with Paul and Timothy and Luke, and, and this church begins to grow and flourish. And he writes this letter, and it's beautiful because it's very personal. Um, there's a lot of affection from Paul to these people. There's a lot of love for them. It's very different in most of his letters in that way where uh, you just see him kind of going after their hearts and talking in a way that's very endearing and, and wanting. There's some letters you read where he didn't actually know them, but he writes because he hears about the ways that they're loving Jesus. And so he's in his second imprisonment term. He's in Rome now. His first two years of imprisonment were in Caesarea, and now he's in Rome, and he is uh, knowing that he might not uh, be able to get out. He's waiting uh, under Emperor Nero's jurisdiction to know how he'll be found guilty or free because he was preaching that the very Christ that they crucified as a criminal was in fact the Son of God and he was preaching that that is good news to all people that he did live, he did die, he did rise and he offers forgiveness of sin. They did not like that. Uh, they love Caesar's king. They don't like any other king. Uh, so Paul's just writing and, and here's what he's doing. If you can just sum up this letter of Philippians, he wants to drive your heart to understand one thing, that, that Christ is all things. Okay, so if you're going to get anything else, like, like don't spend your life pursuing everything outside of him because he is the substance, he's the, the thing that causes everything else. So you'll read themes in this book. You'll read about joy, you'll read about contentment, you'll read about, um, you know, just how to view your circumstances, you'll read about suffering, you'll read all of those things. But understand, okay, it's not ultimately about getting those things or behaving in a way that makes you more joyful, makes you more content, or whatever. It's about finding Christ, being identified in Christ, loving him, pursuing him, pressing into him. That makes you joyful, that makes you content, that makes you okay in your circumstances. So he wants to get our hearts to that Christ is all things. We saw that loud and clear last week. 
right, in chapter 3, which is kind of the linchpin of this letter, we saw Paul just drive their hearts into, hey, the surpassing worth of Christ is better than all the moral religious things I got caught up in that thought were achieving for me favor, making me feel better about myself. He goes, man, that's all rubbish if you don't know him. So if you're in here and you're just a good Christian boy or girl, or you just like going to church and praying a lot and memorizing scripture, but it's void of affection for Jesus, you've lost it all. Like you haven't won anything. Like, like the goal and treasure is him. And when you get him, then everything else rolls into place. And so this is what I love about this morning is he's going to tell us the how of the why. Okay, so, so last week it was all, okay, here is why his surpassing worth is worth pursuing. And here is why you should live this way because everything else is just rubbish. Okay, but now he's going to say, okay, this is how you practically pursue him, press into him, run after him, chase after him, beg for him. Okay, he's going to do that in just verses 12 to 16. He's going to show us this. And so you're kind of seeing that, that famous text come to life, right? Philippians 1.21, we sat for a while to live as Christ, to die as gain. But you're, you're, you're seeing it flushed out here going, of course it is for Paul. I mean, to live is fundamentally Christ. Like, it's not about you sprinkling in some other things or other religious activities. It's 110% about him, knowing him, wanting him, desiring him, having him, being found in him. And then he says to die is just gain. So if, if God takes me, then I'm just going home to be with the one that, that I want and who I'm found in and who I have. So you're seeing the, these things all kind of crystallize in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is really kind of swing to the back end, reminding us the heartbeat of Paul and his letter. So... Here, here's what's important to get, I think, at, at this point in the letter, because you'll understand, I think, why Paul says some of these things. Um, Paul, and you, you'll notice this when Paul writes in his letters, uh, he always assumes the question that you're asking, and then he answers it. If you read, I mean, especially Romans, I mean, that's just, that's one of those letters where every time you're like, what about, and he's like, oh, this is it. Yeah, you think you're filthy? You are filthy, but Christ died for you, right? You're not under the curse of the law, and then he keeps going. He just keeps answering questions. So, so here's what he knows about you and I right now. He knows that we're probably prone to think, well, if, if I already have Christ, and he's already mine, then why pursue him, right? I mean, I've, I've already kind of arrived, right? I mean, why grow in sanctification? Or we might be prone to think, well, if all these promises of God are mine, if I'm guaranteed my inheritance, right? I mean, I mean, if, if I've trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and, and I have his Holy Spirit dwelling in me, I mean, why, 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 why pursue anything? It's, it's already, it's already, I already have it, right? Now, in one sense, it's kind of a pointless point, <laughs> because someone who's been made new in Christ will desire Christ, Okay, so, so I think sometimes we just, we, we overcomplicate it, but, but hear me, when you cannot behold the grace and mercy of the cross of Jesus Christ, and then sit the next day, or weeks, or months, or years, and, and then all of a sudden start debating in your heart whether you're going to follow him. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it, that's, that doesn't make sense, and that, that's, not, that's not Christianity. The, the Christian life, the Christian heart that is made new by God is made new with a hunger, Right, there is this intrinsic want in you to know him. Now, it's going to be different levels at times, but it's never completely void. 
Okay, so if, if you're sitting here and there's, there's zero want for him, then you're probably not a Christian. If there's at least 1% of you that, that longs to repent, longs to presume, longs to know him, okay, then you're probably regenerate. I mean, there are probably evidences of grace in your life. And so, so here what you're going to see is him, him show you this is why you should chase him when you're already in him. Here's why you should pursue the greatest treasure you have and that you already own in spite of that. Here's why you should keep going, keep pressing, and keep wanting to know him. So we understand that when we're born in the family of God, we're born with a hunger. And this, this is huge because Paul's gonna show you, even though he has Christ, he's not perfect. He hasn't obtained this level of moral, spiritual perfection on this earth. He doesn't have it all figured out. Now that's comforting. We talked about that last week. And even Paul the Apostle can want to gain more of what he's, already ha- what he's already been given, right? We saw how weird that was, how he says in verse 8, man, I, I want to gain Christ. Someone who has already gained Christ wants to gain him more. And because Christ is infinite, there's always more of him to get and more to gain. And we re- realize Ephesians 1 said you're going to spend ages upon ages trying to get all that is him. And so here's what he says in verse 12. He makes this really clear that he's still a sinner, that he's still tempted, that he still struggles with the residual effects of the fall. He makes this clear in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, the reason he's, he's saying this is, is, I think, primarily because of two heresies that were going on at the time, okay? So, so one, he's battling this idea of obtaining and this idea of perfection, okay? He's going to talk about those two. So the attaining, he's talking about the resurrection. That's what he just said in verses 10 to 11. He goes, I want to attain the resurrection of the dead, right? I'm waiting for this. So if you read 2 Timothy, you'll see there were these people teaching that the resurrection already happened of the dead. And he's going, no, 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 that hasn't happened yet. Right, I mean, Christ is gonna descend again and then all will be raised. The dead will be raised. That, that will happen, but that hasn't happened yet. So I'm longing for that. I'm striving for that. The other thing he's battling is this idea of perfection. This goes back to the Judaizers who he was confronting. This idea that kind of led later into Pelagianism, if you know what that is. It's this idea where you can achieve moral, spiritual perfection in this present life. So he's going, hold on, no, no. And I'm not perfect, Like, you can't obtain perfection until the day of Christ Jesus. So I'm in the process of being renewed. I'm in the process of being conformed more to the image of Jesus. But I'm not going to land there fully until he comes and gets me or I die. And so he's, he's battling these two things. So he's saying, hey, don't believe those false doctrines, okay? There's a resurrection coming that hasn't already happened, and you're not going to ever be perfect here, so strive, press on, push forward into knowing him and being made more into the likeness of Jesus. And Paul says, I just can't wait, basically, for that day where I am fully like Christ. I mean, isn't that, let's think about that this week. Isn't that what we all long for, to be perfect? Right? I mean, are you sick of being imperfect? I mean, think, you, look, believer, unbeliever, no matter who you are, right? This is where the cards all land. Everyone wants to be perfect. Everyone wants to be made a little bit better, have a little bit less sin in their life, or appear a little bit better than somebody else. But no, he's going, man, that time, when I, when I reach that day of Christ, that's when I'll be fully perfect. I mean, our hearts should long for that. So, so I press on towards pursuing that with the power of Christ that is within me. And look at what Paul says in this text right here. We pursue him because you and I are broken. Like, this is so important. You, 
you don't pursue him because you already have it all together. But, but you know what we see so much of? This idea where, well, I'm not going to run to him and pursue him until I clean up my life more, right? Paul's saying, no, because I haven't obtained this, because I'm not already perfect, because i still got a lot of work that needs to be done in my heart and soul and mind, I'm chasing him harder. Right? Be, be, because you don't have it all together. Like, it's not, it's not because, hey, you're really good, you trusted Christ, and all of a sudden every, every luring in your heart left you, and now you're just ready to chase after him. Like, he died for you in your sin. Remember? I mean, he died for you when we were all screwed up. Like, like it's not now he's waiting. Okay, now, now, now really get fixed, Mike. Hey, then, then you can pursue me again. I mean, it's this amazing reality that Paul is saying this in the state of realizing his imperfection, his unredeemed flesh that he's still fighting. He's going, man, I'm chasing after him. Not because I'm made perfect. Not because I've got, I'm all cleaned up. Because I'm not. That, that, that's why I'm running after him. Because I, I think this is a, a huge shift. That needs to happen in our, in our just daily walking, right? I mean, how many of us, right, when we're struggling and failing, we just run from him instead of leaning into him, which causes greater worship and greater intimacy? And, and here he's, he's just showing us, man, because we're broken, we, we pursue him. And, and I, I think this is maybe for one of two reasons. I think, one, maybe we've grown up thinking, and maybe the church has done this to you where, you think because you hear a testimony that's really not all that accurate or you just fall into a belief that's really not true that, that when you trust in Christ instantaneously, every deceitful, sinful desire in you vanishes. Right? You, you, you ever thought that? Right? I mean, well, as soon as I try, I don't know why I want this still. Well, because you're still in unredeemed flesh. Right? Or here's the other thing I think we, we think sometimes is that we think when we're justified, that when justification happens, automatically, simultaneously, all your sanctification happens too. So, so you think in you repenting of your sin and trusting Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, he makes you righteous before him, he declares you righteous, he does all that. We think that then also at the same time we're made like morally perfect and our sanctification just speeds up and gets to the end. That's when he starts it. This is, this is the imagery and reflection and parallel of chapter one, verse six. What does he say? He who started the work will continue the work and complete the work at the day of Christ. So, so it's this idea that he's not done with me. He's not going to abandon me. He's going to keep it going. He's going to keep refining, keep growing me in more of the image of Jesus. And so Paul shows us, no, there's more for me to see. There's more to be had of Christ. There's more for him to do in me. So I press on. I pursue him all the more. I want to know him. Now don't miss why we pursue him. This is a bit weird. Because... You have him. He says, because Christ Jesus has made you his own. So we relentlessly pursue Jesus, lean into him, chase him, want more of him. Why? Because you're already his. Because he already has you. Like, like, you pursue him because you're his, not to try to become his, right? But like, like your pursuit, again, we're getting back into this 
position before practice that we've talked about all throughout the book of Ephesians. Like, you're not pursuing Jesus to get better standing or better favor or more merit. You're pursuing him because you already have him. Right? Because now you, you get to enjoy more than is the endless riches of Christ. And so that's what he's showing us here is this, this idea that don't chase what you've already freely been given. It was freely given to you. You've got it. You're his. I'm his. He is mine. Okay, now you pursue the one who bought you out of your sin. You go after him because you want to know more of that one who, who rescued you, who saved you, who redeemed you, who ransomed you by his cross. You want to know more of what that means. And so as you see more of that, as you meditate on that and marvel at the, the, the awakening work of the gospel in your heart, that begins to transform you. That begins to permeate the deepest parts of who you are. And so let me say this in the midst of what he's saying about us being his. If you have been rescued by God through Jesus Christ, and you're sitting here going, but I can't pursue Jesus the way that Paul's pleading with me to pursue him because of something I've done, because, because of a, a sin issue that I struggled with or, or am dealing with, He's going to say that you're a liar. I mean, think about who God said this to. Hey, Paul, oh, you're, you're a murderer? Hey, you're mine. Okay, now, now pursue me, right? I mean, do you not think Paul had to deal with that? Wait a second, man. I was spending my life killing Christians, whipping them and beheading them and put, throwing them in prison, just taking delight in that. And wait, you, I'm now yours? So I'm going to push headlong into the one who bought me, who owns me. This is such a, an amazing thing that he is showing. And, and I, think, I think that Paul's saying, because you're his, push into him. Like, that's, that's why you do it. Because you're marveling at him owning you and him purchasing you. So you want to know that more, Right? I mean, aren't there days where you're, you know you don't know the mercy of Christ the way you really want to or the grace that was really shown to you the way you want to or the way that he really freed you from that enslavement of sin? Like, like you, you know it, but you know there are deeper waters to really wade in and get in, right? So he's saying just keep, keep jumping in them. Like keep looking at it, keep seeing it, keep asking God to reveal and show you more of what he's done through his gracious work in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And, and I think this also gets at this idea that we were just talking about that, man, God didn't pull you out of your sin and own you when you were finally killing it. Like he did it when you were struggling. So to think that now he's not going to still be there to press into when you're struggling is crazy. Because he saved you when you were struggling. Here's how this connects, and I think this is real important. I think a mark of Christian maturity is, is, is this. So in, maturity and immaturity. Maturity is when you stumble and fall, you run to the God of the universe. And it results in deeper worship and greater intimacy. I think of a picture of possible immaturity is when you stumble and fall, you run from him. You try to get as clean as you can. You try to get it all figured out. You manage all that sin. You control it. And then you run to him. And what that creates is just a weird life where with the God of the universe, you run to him when you're doing well and you run from him when you're struggling. And those struggling days become very, very deep and dark and difficult. Because you're not pressing into the one who can heal you, restore you, forgive you, remind you of his constant grace and mercy. You're, you're void of him and you're just trying to fix your life. 
And so here what, what he's, he's showing is, man, it's, it's the mark of Christian maturity is in those moments where you fall short, you run to him and go, I can't believe he loves me even in this. Right, so then in your state of feeling frail and fragile and broken and whatever it is, in that moment you're going, wait, he still loves me even in this. Like even in this state. So now the cross of Christ is penetrating your heart, getting deep into your soul, and it's awakening you more to what he's done. And so now you're being transformed, not by over here just trying to fix what's going on in your life, but by leaning into him and seeing more of him. I mean, this is, and this is where we see the, the maturity grow in our hearts when as soon as you make a mistake or you fall short or you screw up or you sin, which you're gonna do every second of every day, right? We're gonna leave here and do something, right? What do you do in that moment? Do you run from him going, ah, I can't, or do you lean into the one who already bought you, already made you righteous, so you can enjoy the one, enjoy his grace even more, enjoy his mercy even more? What's getting kindled in your heart? How, what's, what's being shaped in you? Paul shows that this maturity begins to look like in verse 13. He says this. He begins to get on the ground with us and and give us a clearer picture. Brothers, I don't consider that I've I've made it my own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, this may seem a bit weird structurally, the way that he writes this, okay? But, But what he's getting out of these Greek games Okay, he knew that, that these people of Philippi knew the Greek games, knew the Greek Olympics. And so he's using these analogies of where it's kind of like this thing you, you already have, but you haven't, like, gotten it yet. Okay, so you know how we're theologically in the already not yet? Like, we're already made righteous positionally by the work of Jesus, the work on his cross. But we're not going to actually fully be utterly righteous inwardly, outwardly, not just positionally until the yet that's coming, which is with Christ. So here's what he's getting at. This, this, this picture of like a runner who's about to cross the finish line. He's not on the podium yet. Everyone else is behind him. He's, he's going to win, but he hasn't won. So what does he do with the tape? He pushes harder, right? He just throws himself through it. He doesn't all of a sudden stop and get lazy, Right, he's right there. He can see the finish line. He can see what's ahead of him. He can see the prize that he has on the podium. And he just pushes and he pushes, right? That, that, that's the imagery that he's giving. Straining, this moving, right? You, you, you know you already have the gift of Christ. You know you've, you've already been promised all these things. They're right there, so, so press in harder. Run harder. It's right there. That, that's the, that's the, the imagery that he's, he's showing is this keep Going So Paul constantly gives this imagery of striving, pursuing, pressing into Jesus, giving all your effort towards running to him. So how does this play out in, in your struggle with sin or, or your fight with sin? Um, I think there's a really good way that we can fight our sin and struggle in our sin and a really bad way we can struggle in our sin and fight our sin. I think the bad way is what a lot of us naturally do. Okay, So, so here's what we do. We're with Christ, we've been found in him, we've been saved by him, we love him, we know him, and then the second you fall short, post your conversion, you go over here, and you're just trying to fix it, right? And control it, and you're just, eyes are totally off of him, right? You're just staring at your sin, you're trying to, and it's not working, right? Okay, instead of being over here and pressing deeper into Jesus and moving into him so much so that eventually the resurrected power that he talked about in verse 10 breaks that thing, right? Gives you victory. Instead, your eyes aren't on him. You're not pressing into him. You're not pursuing him. You're not seeing the gospel. You're not seeing its work. You're not seeing its power. You're over here and you're just, you're just frustrated, okay? 
So you spend your whole life frustrated trying to get everything managed. And once you manage it, then you're going to run to him. But understand, over here trying to fix and manage your sin, he's void of the scenario. You're not even looking at him. Like Jesus isn't even a part of it. I feel like so often we find ourselves in fighting our sin, thinking we're pursuing him, think we're running to him, but all you're trying to do is become more nice or more moral or, or I don't know, whatever it is, more loving or more forgiving or that just makes you a really good Pharisee. It's totally void of affection for Jesus. You love religious activity. You love looking good. That's what we say all the time. And people that come in this room, I hope we're the first thing off of our mouths. We're here because we're wicked. We're here because we're not all that, because we haven't got it all put together. But Christ has, so we worship him, look to him, love him, honor him. And don't look at me. I find myself all the time having to say that, right, when you're in, 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 in evangelistic opportunities. Because what do they want to do? Find every fault you got. We got a ton, right? And then try being a pastor in that, right? Then the bar's like up here, well, I saw you cutting your grass wrong. You know, like, okay, sorry. I mean, you kicked my dog. Okay, well, I apologize. You're a pastor. You can't kick dogs. Well, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, you're all of a sudden, something that someone else do that's just fine and normal. You get this. So, so hear me. Hear me. This is where it just gets, where it just gets so sweet is, is get used to that. Get used to admitting you're a sinner. Like, can you, can you just do that? Are you allowed to be transparent in church? I don't know. I hope so, right? It's a good thing. Just admit, man, this is where I'm stumbling and falling. I need his grace. I need, I, need, I need to run to him. I don't need to sit over here and try to just figure out my life. And so, so that's what he's getting at is showing us that there is this straining towards the upward call in Christ Jesus. Not just forgetting what's, not just looking at what's behind, getting caught up in what we want to fix and change. There's a way that we do this. Because understand, if you're over here doing this right now, it's never going to work. Like it will for a season. You'll see victory over your sin for like a week or two weeks or then you know what's gonna happen? Eventually you're gonna find yourself right back in the place you started with no victory, no resurrective power breaking that thing in your life. You just learned how to manage it for two weeks. And it's totally void of him. There's no intimacy with Jesus. So much of our church is that, right? I don't wanna pursue him or be like him or walk like him, but yeah, I'd love to clean myself a little. I'd love to have a better self-image. If that's you, you're missing it. It's not about some few little teachings that make you look better. It's about a profound power that is available to transform you and cause an idolatrous heart to worship the one true king of the universe when it wants to worship its own self. And so we're seeing Paul get into this. So Paul's saying, I'm not looking around all the ways I'm stumbling and falling short. He goes, man, I'm, I'm looking to him. I mean, some of you, your, your past is the greatest thief in your life. It just robs you daily, right? Because you're so stuck on a way that you fell or failed or sinned or you're just stuck there. It's amazing because in that, Paul says that the goal is the prize and the prize is the goal. Christ, right? Becoming like Christ and getting Christ or interchangeable things to Paul. Like you get both of those things. That's the upward call. And I mean, think about this. I mean, just, just Paul's been saying it. God took you. I mean, go back to Ephesians 1, that amazing text. Okay, but before you were thought, before you were made, before you created, 
God thought of you? Had in his heart to save you, rescue you? You were, you were on his mind, you were on his thought before the age of began, before the, before the foundation of the world. This is amazing security we have. Okay, he decided to own you. He decided to make you his own. Okay, so, so he took what would be wicked, idolatrous, self-serving people who, who can't get out of their sin on their own. Like, like they don't know how. They try other things. They try to be more like. They kept, keep hitting the ceiling. They try to use other things that don't work to make it work. We, we are insane people, right? The definition of insanity. Just keep trying what doesn't work, thinking it might work. So you're in the cul-de-sac of trying to fix your life or find something else, a power outside of you, right, that's, that you think is in of you, inside you. It's really outside of you. And you're just looking more inward, how to fix this thing, change this thing. Christ comes. He dies. He, he breaks the chains of sin, death. He raises again, offers resurrected new life. So, so he in his sovereign grace grabs you, plucks you out in grace, makes you holy, blameless, spotless, above reproach before him and says, hey, you're mine. Now you can just enjoy me. And, and now I give you freedom. So, so walk in that. I mean, if there's not a reason to run after that prize we already have, I don't know what else is. I mean, I mean, that's why Paul is laying this before us, going, man, in that grace, that's the prize. You then becoming, okay, so with that, from eternity past, it wasn't just to give you himself, which we learned last week. It was to continually make you like himself. Like, like that's the win, both of those things. He saved you to, for eternity, conform you more into the perfect image of his very own son, and then to give you his son. So he goes, run hard. That's your prize. The goal is the prize. The prize is the goal. You get Christ and you are eventually made just like him. Perfect. John says, man, I can't wait till I see him. For then we'll be just like him. Right? Can't wait for that. That's what Paul's longing for. This just this eventual perfection that he will reach. And he says, this is how we do it, by forgetting what lies behind. This is such good advice. Such good news. Now, I don't believe this is an all-encompassing, just forget everything you've ever done. I don't think this is like, hey, just everything that was behind today, just erase it. I don't think, because we're continually encouraged to remember his faithfulness. Remember his works. Remember what he's done, right? Okay, so, so here's what, just a few things I wanna, I wanna say. I, I think he's saying, forget anything in your past that would hinder your present pursuit, okay? Like, like forget anything in your past that would hinder your present pursuit. So let me just give you two on, on different ends of the spectrum. Uh, one's the legalist. Don't just live off of past victories. Because your eyes get off him and you become anchored in what you do really well. That can be a great thing. Things that you've done well, ways that you've pleased the Lord, ways that you've been a good Christian. But it can also be a very, very dangerous thing to where you just kind of rely on what you've done already and go, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, at one point, yeah, I was involved in like a, a community group. And yeah, I, mean, I led someone to Christ at one point and I've done some good things, right? But, but then you're anchored in that and you're not, you're not running. You think you're fine. So, so be careful on that end, right? Just, just living off of all these great things that you've done. And that's slowing you down from the pursuit. Don't let that hinder you. Don't let that stop you. The other thing on the other end of the spectrum is the perfectionist. So 
Don't live on past victories, but also don't be stifled by past failures, right? You're, you're a perfectionist, and so you think, man, I just, mm, because I didn't quite do it, I can't run to him, right? Because that, that sin, that, that besetting sin is still nagging me. So until I get that figured out, then I can run to him and pursue him. And let me just say, that's just pride. Because, because think about what you're saying. You're saying that you have the only sin that no one else has that the cross of Christ cannot forgive and kill. So that's just as arrogant as saying you don't need the cross at all. Both are pride. So don't let past failures stifle you because you're a perfectionist and think, well, I gotta be a certain way before I can run. No, run. Don't let that hinder you. Forget that. Forget the failures. Christ killed them. Christ forgives them. There's mercy. There's endless grace. I mean, some of you, I, I know through meeting with you and talking, I mean, there are, there are past sins that debilitate you. That just utterly shrivel your love for Jesus. Because you have a faulty view of what he's done. I mean, let your heart warm in knowing that as you think about that deep, dark period of time or moment or thing, that the blood of Jesus ran over that. And that when when he rose, he reached down and grabbed you by the collar and said, you're mine. You're mine. And you're in my grip. No one's gonna get you out of my grip. So let that grace and mercy just continually pour over you as you consider and think about those ways that that will debilitate your pursuit of him. So there's a forgetting behind. Then there's a straining towards what's ahead. He says, I forget what lies behind, but then I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the upward prize and upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he says, while I'm forgetting all things in my past that hinder my pursuit of the day, then he turns the corner. And what does he, what does he say? Let's go, right? Let's move. Pursue him. Run, right? Don't get tangled up back here. Stop looking at that stuff. Stop being anchored in your past. Forget that. Look out your windshield, not the rearview mirror, and move forward. Like, press on to the prize. It's yours. He's been given you in Christ. You have him. You have all this stuff promised to you, all these blessings for you. So, so pursue it. Go after it. He just, it's amazing that he, that he and I, I think this is, this is so important because I think this is missing in Christian circles. There's this, yes, I have him. Yes, he's found me. Yes, all of these different things. And we think, well, then I don't need to pursue. I don't need to strain, right? Because here is the, here's where I think we, we lie to ourselves. Um, we hear grace and we think grace means, well, Christ already did it, so I don't have to do anything, so why pursue anything, right? I mean, why be active, right? And yes, in justification, Jesus does it all. But did you know that part of the way that he sanctifies you and grows you and shapes you is through your straining, through your toiling, through your pursuit of him? Like, like it's one and the same. 
Like he justifies you, no act of your own. You have no part in that. That's solely belief. He declares you righteous, calls you his own. Blood does that. Then the sanctification, he goes, okay, toil. You read this in, just read the letters to Timothy. Read the Corinthians letter. Just read, I mean, there's this constant language from Paul of toiling, struggling, striving, pressing, run, don't stop. Because in that, as you do that, you're being sanctified. That's part of the sanctification process. So if your thought is, well, I hear grace, it's a license just to live passively as a Christian, this text is killing that thought. That theology on your head, that, that you love passive Christianity because you prayed or said a chant that merits his grace, this is saying, no way. The one who's been born again is born with a hunger who will pursue and run after him. So don't lie to yourself. But at the same time, enjoy the freedom to run because you're already his. That's why we run. That's why we pursue him, because he's already been made our own. So here's the question. Let's get practical, and then we'll wrap, we'll wrap up. If the pursuit and goal is him, okay, which we learned clearly last week, if the goal is knowing the surpassing worth of Christ, if, if it's not about you just looking like the Christian community and not you praying the right prayers or you being the best husband or best wife or best parent, if that's not the goal, and the goal is ultimately Jesus, Goals ultimately him, like he's who you're after. And as you pursue him and make much of him and find your identity in him, then you become the husband, the wife, the parent, all those other things. Okay, so if that's the goal, then how do we cultivate in our hearts a deeper want for him, right? That's the question. So I think no matter who you are, there are a couple historic, regular disciplines that I'll lay before you. And then I want to give you guys a few questions to, to ask yourselves. Um, because I think we pursue what we want, right? I mean, I mean anyone know that? You pursue what you believe is valuable, what you believe will change you, what you believe is most joy-filling, most satisfying, most, right? So, so there are a couple central disciplines and then all that. So a couple of those, right? It's got to involve at least these three. Scripture, prayer, and community, okay? It, okay, it has to. Okay, I want to first lay these out so you don't think I'm crazy, just going to therapeutic, you know, moralism where I give you some things to, to help yourself out. Let's, let's start there. So, so first, just scripture. There's got to be the scripture. Because here's what you can do. You can either guess what God's like, make up your own idea and view of God, or you can humble yourself to how he's revealed himself and know him in the scriptures. Not just out here in your ethereal cloud going, yeah, well, I think he's like this. And now I think he's like, well, he can't do that because I see this. And No, no. Go to the source and read what he's like. Read how he works Read about his person and work, the cross. And let me encourage you in your reading of the scriptures that you don't read it like a magazine. Like, unplug. It's not like I'm just flipping through, just, that's a cool picture. Wow, that's a cool temple. Look at that photo. You know? No, it's, it's, it's stopping, meditating, pulling, looking, praying, considering, Right? I mean, that's how we get in the scriptures. It's not, about qual- it's not about quantity, it's about quality. You might sit your whole life in a gospel. Praise God. There's still more important and, and good things that we should know. But man, just take time. Just meditate, dwell, look at it. I think there's also, there has to be prayer. You want to know why? Because here's what's so frustrating. You can't make yourself want them. And I've found when I'm on my knees, going to him, begging him, God, give me more of a desire. I don't have it. I want it. 
Like that, that's in me, that's intrinsically in me. I'm a new creation in Christ. Like I, I want to know you more. I know I'm not there. I know I'm not pursuing you the way that I should and the way that I want what's good for me. So I'm, I'm begging you to give me the desire. And in my praying, it's amazing what he does to my heart. Like he, he kindles my heart in my praying to him. Like in your admission of I'm dependent on you, I have to have you to, to make anything happen in here, I mean, that actually in itself makes you want him. So, so that's another part of your controlling. Do you constantly just try to muster up a desire or do you actually get on your knees, get on your face and say, God, I, I need you to give it to me? How do you, how do you even go after that, right? Okay, so there, there's scripture and, and there's, there's prayer and then there's, there's community, just, just get around other brothers and sisters or people that stir up a want for Jesus. Get around them. I don't know who they are. I mean, well, there's many in this room, right? But you know who those people are in your sphere of influence and in your, in your community groups and your, who you rub shoulders with. I don't know who those people are, but find those people where they just grow in you a want to love Jesus. Because knowing him and pursuing him is is for me, is so kindled when I'm just around other people that want that. Just naturally. Like, I don't have to, like, ask them to make me want it. Just being around them makes me want it. It's this contagious wanting and, and love. So these are just some simple historic disciplines that the, that the Church of Christ has always done. Uh, they'll always be there. and They'll always be profitable. Now, though, let me just say this, too. Those are all going to get flushed out differently in your life. Please hear me say that. Okay, so don't impose how you study the scriptures or how you pray or how you do community. That's like the way that you achieve greater longing, hunger for him, okay? It's gonna, it's gonna look different in, in, in everyone's life depending on your life stage and season. I remember when I was in college, it was like, man, prayer and the word was afternoon, right? Kind of evening, that was great for me. Then, then, then I got married and, and I married a woman who, who doesn't like to stay up late, right? And she, she likes to sleep in, right? So okay, well that changed a little bit. Maybe the... You know, afternoon time is good, right? So I can study then and I can go to bed with her and, and love her well in that way. And then, then she started teaching and when we moved here to plant this church and so then mornings became good because she was up early and out of the house. And then we had our son Jackson and, and nothing works, right? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, then you, then you have a kid, you're like, I, I, no time's work, right? So, but even in that stage, right? I don't know what it is for you, but man, let, let those times and seasons for you work for you. And don't impose that on somebody else. Just be, be discerning as to how that might work, how that might look. Discern what works best for you. So outside of those central things, here's some things I want you to keep asking yourself till you reach glory. Just simply ask for you, what kindles in your heart a want and longing for him? Outside of those things, not in place of them. I don't know, is it, is it a type of music you like? Is it, is it, I don't know, somewhere you like to go? A place? Hiking? I, I don't know what it is for you, but, but you know those things, right? I'll give you just, just uh, two examples for, for mine. One, you guys know that if it were up to me, we'd sing in Christ alone every Sunday. Here, right? I mean, I've said that repeatedly, right? I, mean, I think every night we, we put Jackson to bed, I just... That's, we always, we do this thing where we lay Jackson down and, and we pray and then we, and then we sing to him and it's funny because he'll start like singing. He can't really sing. He'll just, ah, 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 you know, so, so we'll, we'll sing and all the time, it's, I can tell my wife, 
by now just kind of knows, oh, you're going to sing in Christ alone again. So sure enough, after we pray, in Christ alone. And she's like, I mean, I mean, I love that song, but isn't there another one that's like really good too that we can mix it up so he doesn't think that's the only hymn like in the historic Christianity service. You know, but for some reason, that song for me just bolsters, I don't know why, like that's just for me. That's just the song that, that I, I think about. I love just, you know, getting on my, when I'm alone in my car and just putting on that song. And I just like, I don't know, I just think I, I also had a friend growing up named Paul, godly brother, and he did the weirdest thing. He loved going to a graveyard. He'd drive by a graveyard, he'd stop and just look at it because he said that seeing death and being reminded of death just motivated him to run. Like, this, this life is short. You know, it's so easy. We think, oh, we're, fri- we're you know, perfect. We're, we're, you know, Superman. We're never gonna die. Nothing's ever gonna happen, right? And then all of a sudden, you're faced with death through a funeral, through attending a funeral, through losing someone you love, someone in this room. And immediately, what are you confronted with? Man, th- this life isn't a game. Well, like, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, and so here, here's, here's what I'm saying in that. I'm not commanding you to listen to in Christ alone or go to the graveyard, Right? I'm just saying, find what works well for you. I mean, Michael McKinney, love the guy. He's up at 5 a.m. reading Jonathan Edwards. You know what I'm doing at 5 a.m.? Sleeping. Like, you know what I mean? So it'd be crazy for Mike to say, hey, man, you've got to read Jonathan Edwards at 5 a.m., and that just grows my heart for Jesus. Okay, cool, but I'm sleeping then. So I, that's not good for me, but I'll find something else, right, a different time where I can do that. So, so you've got to have wisdom and ask yourself honestly, man, what does that for you? Because here's what I also want to say. You, you really got two options. You can pursue Jesus or just remain miserable to some level. Like, like either pursue him or just then remain a bit miserable in different levels. By pursuing everything else outside of him that you think is going to satisfy you and give you joy and give you life and give you wholeness and you'll just keep hitting the wall. Satisfy you for a season, you'll find yourself right back at misery, right back at emptiness, right back at that longing until you push into him and he meets that need supernaturally, gives you his resurrective power, breaks you of the enslavement to sin by showing you and revealing to you the cross of Jesus Christ. Those are kind of our our options, right? Here's just one last thing for me that I like to do. Um, Get around people where you're spiritually weak, right? Like, like get around people that'll draw out of you some of those areas where you're just kind of weak, okay? And can I just, can I be transparent? Are we allowed to do that? Right, we're like, okay, we can do that? Some of you are like, I don't know. I mean, I've never heard a pastor like, are you allowed to talk about how you like, did you guys know that I sinned? I sinned? Do you, do you guys know? Okay, so, so here, just, just honestly, I, okay, so here, let me just, let me just lay this out. Um, Corporate prayer, right? Do you know why I go to corporate prayer? Not because I'm killing it in prayer. I don't, honestly. Do you know why I try to get to 9 a.m. prayer on Sunday mornings? Because I don't have a vibrant prayer life. Because I know that that's a space in me that needs to grow. So I don't go to corporate prayer because, guys, I'm killing it. Like, I go there because I know I need it. I know they draw out of me this. I'll tell you, when I go, I want to pray more. 
I'll tell you, when I, when I get with brothers and sisters and I start doing those things, man, that draws out of me a place where I'm weak. Man, I love this. I can study. I love looking at texts and finding out where they hit me weird or where they seem contradictory or studying. And I'm great with that. But man, prayer, I, I struggle in that. And so I know that's an area where I'm weak. So I'm going, God, man, I need to get around people that help bring me into that space. So find those places where you're weak spiritually and get around people that are going to help fill that and stretch you and pull you into that, right? That's a good thing to happen. Because listen, guys, I know the truths about prayer. I could preach a sermon on prayer, how good it is, how necessary it is. But so often, guys, for me, these things become intellectual ideas and not something I'm actively walking in. So find those areas in your life that's just a nice intellectual cute thing and start walking in it. Don't get pious and proud saying, well, I know about this and I know what this looks like. And so, no, walk in it. Be humble enough to do that. So this is an area where I need to be stretched and I need to grow. I expect everyone at corporate prayer this month. Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Not really. But all right. So here is a last thing I want to say. Here's the other piece. Um, so what grows your heart for Jesus and what shrivels? You have to ask both. Okay, outside of those central things, okay, what just shrivels your heart for Jesus, for love for him, for knowing him? You guys know what they are. I don't know what it is for you. Now, now here's, what, here's what I'm not saying. Um, because Paul's saying this idea of forgetting what lies behind, straining towards what's ahead. I, I would bet that most of what shrivels your love for Jesus are not the outright, wicked, awful things. For some of you, maybe. But for most of you, it's kind of those like neutral things. Like TV, hobbies, leisure. Those aren't intrinsically wicked or sinful. You know who is? You and me. So, so because I know you and I are, we're going to take those things that are good things, that are good gifts, we're going to make them ultimate things, not just good things. We're going to start worshiping them and chasing them more than the God of the universe because we're wicked. So I think that's where you got to be careful. It's not just these outright, you know, it's just these little subtle lurings. I've had to pray a lot about that lately. God, what are those subtle, kind of like neutral things in my life that I'm finding myself wandering after that are slowly decreasing a want and love for you, right? I think you gotta ask yourself that. Um, so what, what grows affection and what shrivels affections? I think you gotta keep asking yourself this because Romans 6 says if your mind is set on the spirit, what does that do? Leads to life, brings flourishing. If your mind is set on the deeds of the flesh, that brings death, Right? doesn't lead to life. Okay, now, now just so that none of us feel alone, okay? There are many mornings I wake up and I'm not actively doing this. There are many mornings I, I, I wake up and I know I should be going this direction and I'm going this direction. So what do I have to do? Get my face in my Bible, get on my knees in prayer, get in community and ask God to begin to continually giving me that love and want for him. I gotta continue to look at, okay, what, what grows for Mike Reed, these affections for him, this love for him, this longing for him? Okay, what, what shrivels my, my affection for him? I gotta keep asking myself that, right? It's part of this toiling, part of this straining. It's part of this pursuing what lies ahead. Verse 15, he's gonna wrap, I think this is one of the most overlooked texts. We're gonna end here, verse 15, 16. This is how he wraps it up. Let those of you who think you are mature think this way. 
And if anything, and if you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Okay, here's what Paul knows. There are people in the church at Philippi that are just like the church here, okay? Forgetful, sinful, broken people. And he knows that there are people in this church at Philippi that don't desire these things. They don't want to grow. They don't want to know him. They don't want to pursue him. Like, like they don't want to see godliness bubble up in their life. They don't want to see more sin put to death in their life. They just want to remain stagnant. They just kind of want to remain neutral. They just kind of want to remain complacent, okay? So, so he knows that. So he's basically just saying, okay, if, if you're hearing all I'm saying about straining towards Christ and you're hearing all I'm saying about this, this he's the surpassing worth and he finishes it, he completes it, but you gotta, you gotta do something, you gotta toil, you gotta strive, you gotta forget what lies behind. Don't be a legalist or perfectionist. If you, if you hear all of these things, you're like, eh, you know what? I think otherwise. He goes, well, if you're not gonna listen to me, then, then God will reveal that to you. I'll just leave it in God's hands. That word unveil, right there, reveal I mean, is the literal word unveil. It's this spiritual, he has to unveil that this is good. It gets back to begging him and going to him to even help understand this. He's saying, look, if you're sitting here in your seat, you're going, okay, I'm just kind of indifferent to what you're saying. Like there's just nothing going on. He's going, okay, then, then God has to supernaturally unveil your mind to see that this is right, to see that this is good, to see that he is a surpassing worth. He can't do that. Okay, so, so you know one of the hardest things about being a teacher and a pastor outside of James 3, that I'm gonna be judged with greater strictness than any of you because I'm in this role? Like I said, that's not my favorite verse in the Bible. That, that's... I don't, I don't like that text, right? Outside of that, do you know what, what, what is the hardest thing about being a pastor? Is that all I can do is lay it before you? I can't make you do anything. Like that's what Paul's saying. He just has a pastoral heart. He's going, I, I can't, if you think otherwise, I can't make you do this. God's just gonna have to reveal it. Like, guys, do you know how badly I wanna jump inside your body and just, I mean, seriously, and just say, man, put that sin to death. Like, there, there are people in this room, I'm looking at you, and I'm going, man, that's going to kill you. Like, like, turn to Christ, like, pursue him, run to him. I mean, he's a good father. He loves you. He's got mercy and grace. Don't get stuck in that sin in the past. Man. I, wish, I wish I could get you off that. I wish I could actually get in your mind and unplug it and let you forget what's behind in that regard and push toward what's said. I wish you could see more of the gospel. I wish you could think more about his kindness and his grace. I wish I, wish I could make this happen. But, like, that, that's what's so hard for a pastor and so hard is all I can do is say, okay, guys, here, here, here it is. I mean, it's up to you, right? And if you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. But I can't make you want him. I can't make you pursue him. It's not my job. I can't make you love him. I can't make you have a desire. But, oh, I want it for myself and for you. And so Paul's just ending this thing saying, hey, if, if, if you don't see this as good, hey, I'm, I'm begging God to unveil it to you and that's my prayer to us right that he would unveil this to you if you're sitting in here and you've got a hard heart and a lack of love for him i'm praying that he unveils his great mercy his great kindness his great freedom 
his great goodness to you. I'm praying that he reveals to you what it means to not try to fix your life, but to pursue him headlong. Let's ask him for it. God, we, we can't do any of this on our own. And God, that's, that's the, the weirdness of the call of the Christian to, to actively run and pursue, knowing that we're totally at, at your disposal for energy, for power. God, I'm so grateful for the ways that you're moving in us here at this church. So grateful for the ways that you are making us more into the image of Jesus. I pray you would just keep doing that. I pray you would help us. Myself is in that us. Have a greater want and love for you than we currently do. Believing that as we pursue you and strain towards the upward call, which is Christ and becoming like him, that God, that would enable us to kill our sin. That that would enable us to grow in maturity. God, may you free us from being sin managers and to be Christ's pursuers. God, I pray even tonight that you might save some. I pray even tonight you might bring some from death to life. I pray even tonight some might see the weight of their sin, see your goodness in the cross of Christ, see that your kindness and mercy and grace is endless they don't have to fix themselves or become something for Jesus to rip them out of that just to submit to you as redeemer king and lord of all things to repent to to acknowledge that they've fallen short before your glory that they've wanted other things that they're an idolater that they've lusted after things of the flesh and not the things of the spirit and acknowledge that you're their only hope of salvation you're the only hope of redemption of fixing of forgiving God, may they maybe be found in you tonight. God, as we observe the Lord's Supper, which we love to do, may we remember this. Remember you, that you're our goal, that you are the desire, that your body that was broken, that your blood that was shed, is what we're after knowing more about. That God, there's endless riches in the gospel that is Jesus Christ to uncover, to see, to warm our hearts. We pray that this would add to that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.